Well, I'm excited about next weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun and hope that you'll be here and bring some folks along with you. It's going to be a great, great time. But uh, I got a couple of other things that we need to celebrate this morning because uh, it's just such a big deal. Last weekend, if you're here in the second service, uh, we, we got to witness two special guys that took a huge step in their relationship with Jesus and were baptized. And so we want to give it up and we want to celebrate with Billy Hiley and Greg Jones today for that big, huge decision. And I got to tell you, now, now uh, Billy, who uh, is just a great guy, one of the things that Phil mentioned, if, if you were a part of that service last weekend, Billy has a, a little bit of a handicap. He had had uh, one of his legs amputated, uh, and so it was a little bit of a struggle, but he was going to be fitted for a prosthetic, which is awesome. We're excited for, for that for him. I know he's looking real forward to that, but uh, it was interesting because last weekend, he was, he was baptized, had, you know, wanted to accept Jesus. And, and Phil was saying, he says, I, I watched that man crawl up the baptistry steps. And he said, I just felt, man, if, if any of us ever have an excuse, sh- shame on us, you know. And if anybody had a reason to say, man, let's just wait. I'm going to wait a little bit. It, it was Billy, but he said, no, I've, I've, got to, I've got to have Jesus now. And so then we had another gentleman that, that was inspired by that. And we want to celebrate with John Simon also who gave his life to Christ this Friday night. And uh, just, just amazing. And last weekend, we also had a great, you know, we talked about starting point for a long time. We had a great group of some of you guys that were there, and we just celebrate, got a picture of some special people that are our newest members here at Fairdale Christian, so give it up for these people as well. We're, uh, we're wrapping up this series today that we've been in since, the, since uh, just the last, this is the fourth week of it, called In the Beginning. And we've been looking at the book of Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis. We talked about Adam and Eve. We, we talked about uh, how sin entered the world and kind of fractured everything uh, last weekend. You know, I, I preached on a passage in Genesis that I have never preached on before. And the reason why I never preached on it before is I just, I'll be honest, for a long time I just really didn't like it. And I tried to avoid it. It's, it's troublesome. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult. But we looked at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac and, and God telling Abraham to take Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him there. And, of course, we saw that God didn't actually have him do that, but it was, it was a test. If you didn't catch that message, uh, you can find it online on our website or Facebook, YouTube, wherever you, you uh, prefer there. But I, I would encourage you to... to, to uh, listen to it, because I, th- I think it can be encouraging to all of us to know that there will be and there are tests in our lives. There are moments, there are seasons where God is watching us to see how, how you're going to respond. You know, what, what are you going to do uh, when you, you know, you're, you're up at a fork in the road there? Which way are you going to go? And, and one thing I've been thinking about this week, and we, we talked about this, we touched on it last Sunday, is that if Abraham hadn't passed the test, where would that leave us? Because the scripture tells us that God says, because you've been faithful to me, because you've passed the test, I'm going to bless all people in all of history through you. That, that's us. We're here today because, of, because Abraham was faithful. And so I, I wonder, you know, in that, in that scenario, had Abraham not been faithful, had he decided, no, I'm not doing this, this is, this is craziness and I'm not going to be obedient to what God's asking me to do. You know, he may or may not have missed out on, on anything there, but we certainly would have. 
We're here today because Abraham passed the test. And, and that's why this series, is, that's what it's really been about, is how did we get here today? Genesis, the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, in so many ways, is our origin story. We're looking at humanity, you know, men and women, the people that God has made, the, the things that are around us. Where, how did we get here? Where have, you know, what this long journey of, of to, to get to today, in so many ways it's our origin story, creation, the fall of man, sin entering the world. And ever since that time, God has been in the process of restoring creation. And he's been also restoring human beings to what he intends us to be. Well, today we're going to look at a big one as we wrap the series up. We're going to look at a big, big story in the book of Genesis, and uh, it, is, it is necessary for us to take a nice long look at this story because it's part of our origin. And here's the problem that we've got. This is the, the struggle with this. For many of us, the idea that God is good and loving and forgiving crashes against moments in the Bible of violence and judgment and bloodshed. Why would he command Abraham to sacrifice his son? And, and the issue we've got today is how could a good God send a flood to destroy the earth? It's going to get heavy real quick here in just a minute. So let me lighten it up a little bit. Uh, I've got to tell you this story. So uh, I've been, Megan and I, we just bought some new appliances in our kitchen. And so I was selling the old ones. And I had a lady that came and, and bought our microwave yesterday, and she actually attends here. She attends Fairdale Christian Church. She came to the house to, to pick up the microwave, and she brought a, a, another lady with her that doesn't attend here. And she was telling her, she says, oh, this is, this is my preacher, and he, you know, preaches good sermons. She said, oh, and he tells such good jokes. And she said, tell, tell her that one that you told last Sunday. So I told her the joke, and the woman stood there and was kind of like, that was the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. So I got a couple more like that for you. <laughs> what, what were the lights called on the ark? They're floodlights. And and where yeah and where did where did Noah keep bees? Kept kept them in the archives. Thank you, thank you, man. See, I, I live for the encouragement. I, you'll keep me going. I got more, but I'll stop there. Now, if, if, you're, if, you're anything, if you're anything like me, I have heard the story of Noah and the flood so many times. I've heard it, I've heard it a bunch. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of sermons on it. I have been to the ark in Williamstown, Kentucky. Actually, I, I grew up about 15 minutes from where it, where it stands today, uh, and so I've heard their interpretation of the flood as well as a lot of other interpretations as well, and it's, it's fascinating, and it's problematic. Frankly, it's always bothered me a lot, and unfortunately, every, every message that I've ever heard on Noah and the flood, I, I, I have felt that at some point, as I'm listening, I, I feel like I have to check my brain at the door. And kind of swallow the red pill, you know. 
So I don't want us to do that today. I don't want to do that today, but I do want us to dig into this story and find some fresh insights about God as we look at Genesis chapter 6. So just a quick summary uh, to set us up for what we're about to read, because this is important, that we know the background, the, the backstory. You've got Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we talked about uh, the second week of this series, sin, you know, evil entering into the world, and from there... Humanity just is beginning to take a very quick downward spiral. Humanity multiplied and violence begins to take over. You remember, if you, if maybe you know, maybe, maybe not, but Adam and Eve had two sons that we know of. We know their names, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel in a jealous rage. And then uh, later on, Cain has a descendant named Lamech who was known for his violence. He bragged about how much of a violent monster that he was. Sin and evil were multiplying by the day. People had become very, very wicked. And Genesis 6, beginning in verse 5, says that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. I was trying to think of some kind of an application, something that maybe we could identify with a little bit, and it was real hard for me, and maybe this is a, a, not a very good application, but I was thinking about, have you ever had like a, like a beloved pet, a dog maybe, that you had to put down, it just got so sick? Or maybe it, you know, it bit one of your kids or something like that. And as much as it broke your heart, you knew you had to do it for the best of, of everybody there. I think if you take a scenario like that and times it by about a billion, maybe we kind of get to where God, God's heart was. So we know what's coming. God tells Noah to build an ark. It takes him a hundred years to build it. And in the end, Noah and his family are saved along with a bunch of lucky animals that got on board. Every, everyone and everything else uh, was covered in water and drowned. And verse 7 says, The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. This is one of the issues that I think we have as we approach this text. You know, we we kind of we'll isolate these passages and say, you know, I, this okay, this doesn't work in my mind because why would God do this? This seems so wrong. This seems so horrible. And we start with a, I think with the with the wrong presupposition. We begin from the viewpoint that we're kind of the source of what is good and what's right, and we're not. And we forget that we are created beings. That our lives belong to the Lord. He's the author and the finisher of life. That our lives, even our own lives, are not our own. And so we kind of start from this starting place where we say, well, I, I'm right and I know what's best and I, I know where, you know, what needs to happen ultimately. And starting from that, from that place really leads us down some, some, weird, some weird places. But I, I want to start with a, a couple of basic questions as we kind of start easing into this text. Number one. Do I have to believe, maybe you'd be asking this question, do I have to believe in Noah and the flood? 
Do I have to believe that and be a Christian? Or can I, can I just say that, okay, I think this is one of those, one of those poetic things that, that never really happened. The answer that I'm going to give, some of you may not like this, but I'm going to say, yes, you do. You do have to believe this. I know a lot of Christians who, uh, who believe this story is some kind of a, some kind of a tale, uh, something that was just passed on and it didn't really happen, but it's meant to point us to some other kind of truth. And the reason why I have a problem with that is that Jesus treated it as a true story. You look at Luke chapter 17, he said this, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. So what he's doing, he's com- Jesus is comparing the events of his life to the events of Noah's life, which, which means he is considering Noah to be as real as, his, as himself. So if you want to follow Jesus, it's not a great idea to disagree and decide, well, okay, Jesus may have said that, but I think this story's fake. I don't think we can do that. Let's, let's take that off the table and let's go to the next question. Do I have to believe that the, the flood covered the entire world? And this answer may surprise you, but I would say not necessarily. Uh, there is some evidence of a worldwide flood. And I've, you know, I've seen interpretations and heard lots of things that say, oh, yes, it was a worldwide flood. But I, I, I think that a lot of that's pretty shaky. There is, however, uh, very strong scientific evidence for a large localized flood in the Middle East that would correspond with the story of Noah. And we understand that these people in this day, they didn't travel very far. Where they were born is where they lived. That's, that's all they knew. And so for, for Noah and the people of his day, uh, where they lived in the Middle East, that was the entire world for them. That was their whole world. So it may have well very seemed that the entire world was flooded because the entire world for them, their entire world was indeed flooded. Uh, I also find it interesting, as you know, uh, throughout history, there are lots of different, there have been lots of different religions, lots of different uh, thoughts and stories and cultures and things that have been passed down. And one thing that has been common in almost every single one of them, there has been a story that's been passed down through many, many, many different cultures and religions and, uh, of, a, of a great flood. For thousands of years, there have been stories and tales of this great flood which happened, which leads you to believe there's something there. Why would all of these different people in all these different parts of the world that never would have interacted with one another, why would they all say this one thing? St. Augustine once said, One does not read in the gospel that the Lord said... I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you about the course of the sun and the moon. He didn't say that. For he willed to make them Christians, not astronomers. So the purpose of the story of Noah is not to make us historians of ancient rainfall patterns. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is to point us to something true about God and something true about ourselves. And so with all that said, I believe that God can do whatever he wants. If it was a worldwide flood and God caused the salt water and the fresh water to mix together, and I know that, you know, we know that that would have killed all the fish. But if, the, if God somehow preserved things and did it that way, I believe that he could. I believe he can do whatever he wants. I'm not saying that it didn't happen like that. I'm just saying that we can't say with 100% certainty, and I don't think it's a matter of salvation one way or the other. So I think it's okay for us to have some variety in our opinions on that. But one thing I do know 
there was a massive flood. There was a very massive flood. Back to Genesis 6. It says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. So God told him, I want you to build the ark, and he gave him the dimensions. This is how you're going to do it, and, and all that information. And then you skip down a couple of verses to verse 17. He, God says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did exactly as God had commanded him. So what we're seeing, basically, is a decreation of the earth. We know from Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. It, the earth was formless and, and, uh, and void. And it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. You know, it was just a, he created the world. It was just covered in water and, and God was there. And then, you know, he, he caused the waters to separate and dry ground to appear. Basically, he's, this is a reversal of that. He says, I'm going to cover the earth. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to restore it. He's going to put an end to all the violence. He's going to put an end to all the evil that has taken over the world. If you're like me, then you're, you're up to this point. You think, okay, okay, got it. But no matter how you tell this story, no matter how you slice it, God still wipes out all of humanity except for one family. So how does the flood reflect the goodness of God when he sent such disaster on the earth? Now, I mentioned that other religions have a flood story, and that is true. Uh, in, in almost every cultural legend, ancient texts, literally most of the entire world, like China, Egypt, throughout Africa, India, the Philippines, uh, native North American, South American tribes, Korea and Ireland, just to name a few of them, there is a flood story. Which is interesting, because if there was such a huge catastrophe, wouldn't you expect it to show up everywhere? Uh, so why would God do this? Well, there's, there's one critical piece of information in all these other cultures and religions belief systems in every single one of them the flood was a result of the anger of the gods in fact one of the stories is there was a there was a god or goddess that was sleeping and and humans were making so much noise they're playing music making so much noise that it woke her up and in her anger she flooded the earth uh, so it's all about vengeance they're mad about something, so to take revenge, they send a flood. But what does the, the Bible say? God's word says that he was grieved, that his heart was broken, that he had seen that humanity had become so violent and had become so evil and so wicked. He said, I've got to stop it. I have to put an end to this. It cannot continue. And he says, I, he's looking at humans and saying, every thought, Every single thought, every inclination of their heart is to do violent and evil things. 
and he had to put it in. There had to be a stop. It wasn't vengeance. God didn't take pleasure in the flood. God was acting to restore the goodness of his creation. Another thing I think is really important for us to remember is that Noah was a preacher. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. What's important for us to remember, we have to remember this about the heart of God. He wanted to restore the creation. It's evil, it's wicked, it's violent. We've got to do something about that. The evil is destroying everything. And Noah is a righteous man. He's planning to save him. And for a hundred years, Noah's building this ark. And the Bible says that he's warning people about God's judgment. He's telling them, this is going to happen. You have to turn from your wicked ways. You have to stop the violence. You have to stop the killing. You have to stop the, 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 all the immorality and the horrible things. And yet no one was willing to turn away from it. No one was willing to turn from the violence. God gave them every chance for a hundred years. And then there comes a moment for them. And there will come a moment for each one of us. When time's up. That's it. It's important for us to all know that there is a flood coming for us. There will be a day when we have to confront our own wickedness. So the wisest thing that you and I can do is to do that now. To be honest about our sinful state and to, to get real with it. God has made us the offer. He says, I want you to repent of your sins. Come to me. I will forgive you. And so maybe it just for you, maybe it just begins with prayer, going before God and saying, Lord, I, I need your forgiveness in my life. I need to repent of, of the things I've been doing. Maybe you just need to sit on your bed one day and ask yourself, what remarkably stupid things am I doing that's absolutely wrecking my life? Just be honest about it. Genesis 7 verse 13 says that that very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, with them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of every kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. And this is a big statement. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. One day... We have to face reality. One day, the, the door will close for us. Which side of the door are you going to be on? I mean, I hate to put it that way, but, but it's true. One day, the door is going to close. You and I have every opportunity, just as these people did. We have every moment, while we still have breath in our lungs, to surrender our lives to God, to let Him have control in our life. Many of us continue to kick the can down the road and say, well, someday or maybe, or I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'll, I'll do it some other day. I don't know, whatever. But the day will come when the door is closed. And time is up. And that's the piece of the story that we can't miss. This is what really completes it. See, what a lot of people do and where we struggle is we take a story like this and we isolate it. And we look at We start with the, the wrong presupposition. And then we isolate it and we say, look at how much of a monster God must be. How could you believe in a God like that without 
looking at the entirety of God's word. And the missing piece here that brings completion to it is the piece of Jesus. When we understand what God has done for us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, the the picture is complete. God is working to restore the creation through the flood. He's heartbroken. And when the flood was over, said that God made a, a covenant, a commitment to Noah. In Genesis 8, he says, I will never again... I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Because you may know this, but pretty much as soon as Noah and his family got off the ark, they started doing stupid stuff again. If you read Genesis, you're like, how in the how could you possibly be so ignorant and and shallow-minded that they are and they do it just didn't take long and i think okay look look at our world today look at our world the things that are happening in the news i mean all around i mean i still i want to i want to pull out my hair and scream when i look at what's happening in ukraine i just can't understand how violent men bring violence into the world and kill innocent people i just i just don't understand how we can continue to be that stupid and yet we are and then I look a little further in at our city, and what are we up to now? About a shooting a day, something like that? Is that about, is that about right? I look at all the things that, that continue to happen the, from, from, the, from the, the, the crime, the stealing, the murder, the fighting. All, look at our school system. I mean, look at the terrible things, parents that don't care anything for their kids. I mean, just the hatred that we have. And I'm like, why doesn't God just flood Louisville, Kentucky? Let's just start again, you know. Maybe he should. Maybe he should flood. And I mean, my my my, you can't go anywhere. My wife, a couple of months ago, was at the Jefferson Mall with my three kids, and there was a shooting. She said there were snipers on the roof, helicopters, you know, flying around. Everything's on lockdown. She says I was trying to go Christmas shopping. It felt like we would enter the war zone. Why doesn't God just wipe us all out, you know? Because he promised he'd never do it again. That's why. He promised he would never do it again. I believe it broke his heart so much he said, I can't stand this. And so what did he do instead? He said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. What did he do? He sent Jesus. And Noah's flood, the wicked died, and the righteous were spared. With Jesus, the wicked are spared, and the righteous one dies. Jesus died to save his enemies. When we read the story of the flood and others like it, we are reading the ongoing narrative of redemption. That this is something that God is continuing to do. It's not just something that he did. He's still still about restoring people. He's still about redeeming us. It's pointing us to something beyond itself, to the goodness of God. This is all about God Restoring broken creation. Noah's flood doesn't happen because God is angry and he's punishing everyone. It happens because humanity chose to not follow God's plans. Which means God isn't the father who kills his kids. He's a a heartbroken father weeping for his kids who have rejected the good way. They've rejected his good plans and, and in doing so... They have brought destruction down on themselves and the whole world. 
God, you need to know this. You have to know this. That God does not plan for awful outcomes. I hear a lot of very well-meaning, very, very well-meaning Christians that, that will say something that is, is not right, it's not true. And maybe it's because we don't, when, we are, when we're faced with tragedy and we're talking to those who are going through tragedy, it's, you know, what can you say? There's just no words. There are moments where there's just no words. Nothing's going to help. So we try to fill in the, the gaps there. We try to say something that maybe will be, be comforting. And so we'll say things like someone who has just experienced a miscarriage. And we'll say, well, I, I don't know why God would have done this to you, but I know that he has a plan. Or somebody who has a cancer diagnosis or someone who's just lost a spouse or some other horrible thing that's happened. Well, I don't know why God did this, but we, just, we can trust that he's got a plan. And it sounds like something that maybe we're trying to say to try to make sense of it. But God didn't cause you to have cancer. God didn't cause a miscarriage. God didn't cause, he didn't plan for these awful outcomes. He didn't plan for the tragic thing that has unfolded in your life. It was never part of God's plan for you or I to suffer, ever. Pain is not God's plan, but he promises purpose in it. That's what his word tells us. And no matter what happens, no matter what we walk through, that God will be with us. Remember the 23rd Psalm. We, I probably read this at every funeral service that I officiate. The 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. God doesn't cause the tragedy, but he's with us in the midst of it. And he promises to give us purpose through it. That's what his word says as well. It says that he is making all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And so we, we, have to, we have to be honest with ourselves and with who God is. He is a loving father who would stop at nothing to rescue you, even if it costs him the, the, the life of his son, which it did. He sent Jesus. This is the truth that you're going to see through Scripture, not just here in the flood, but woven throughout the entire Bible, is that God is never going to force you or I to follow his plans. He's never going to force us. He's, he, his word says, I've shown you, here, here's, here's right, here's wrong. Here's the way that leads to life. Here's the way that leads to death. And I want you to choose life. I want you to choose my way. And that's what he asks us to do. He asks us to trust him. And then the choice is ours. You know, the problem with, with a story like this and the problem with a story like Abraham and Isaac and, and others that are like it is we look at it and, and it's for people who are not believers that have not accepted Jesus Christ, uh, it, it's, just, it's just so bizarre. It doesn't make sense. They can't, they can't put it together. You know, the New Testament says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about a veil covering our faces that before Jesus came, it was as if we were as if you're kind of looking through a veil, like everything's fuzzy and I can't really make it out, but, but it says that now that we, for those of us who know Christ, 
For those of us who are in a relationship with Jesus, it's like the veil is lifted and we can see clearly. And, and that's how it is with these records in the Old Testament. I think for those that are following Christ and we know him and we know what his grace is like, we can read these and we understand it because the veil has been lifted and I see God for who he is. Some of you may, maybe you're still not there and like, I really, really am struggling with this. I don't know what to do. My challenge to you is to take a step of trust right now. It begins by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the beginning point. And once you've done that, you're going to find that this is a journey. It's a journey of trusting and growing and my, my mind and wisdom being given to me by the Holy Spirit. And I'm able to see God more clearly as the veil is lifted. Now, if that's you today and you need to talk to somebody about that, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some staff and volunteers out at the Next Steps areas. You leave today on the left of the lobby. We'd, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you about that. Maybe you need to follow in the footsteps of these three men last week that, were, that gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. That was the first step for them. Maybe the first step is it's time for you. Uh, we're here, we just want you to know we're here for you. Let me pray for us. We'll be dismissed. Lord, we, uh, there are days like today that I stand in just awe of who you are and the fact that I know that you are loving and you are merciful, but you're also a God that is just and a God that is in the process of restoring. My prayer, my prayer for us today, Lord, is you would speak to our hearts and help us to understand who we are in light of who you are. I, I remember that in your word in the book of Job, Job stands up to you and he's, he's got questions. Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow that to happen? And your response to Job was, where were you? Where were you when I, when you put the creation together, when you built the foundations of the world. And Lord, remind us today of our smallness. Help us to remember that our lives are, that they belong to you, that we are in the palm of your hand. And Father, may we follow you faithfully. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for guiding us. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to follow you this day and every day for the remainder of our lives until we spend eternity with you in the heaven that you have created for us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's see you next week.